Rincewind sat bolt upright. He knew what was about to happen when things were peaceful. Up in the darkening branches a bird muttered, Whirty boy. He relaxed, but only a little. Who's a pretty boy? Suddenly the bird stopped. A branch creaked. The drop bear dropped. It was a close relative of the koala, although this doesn't mean very much. After all, the closest relative of the common elephant is about the size and shape of a rabbit. The drop bear's most notable feature was its posterior, thick and heavily padded to provide the maximum shock to the victim with the minimum shock to the bear. The initial blow rendered the prey unconscious, and then the bears could gather round to feed. It was a magnificent method of killing, since in other respects the bears were not very well built to be serious predators, and it was therefore particularly unfortunate for this bear that it chose on this night to drop on a man who might well have had victim written all over him, but also had wizard written on his hat, and that this hat most significantly came to a point. Rincewind lumbered to his feet and ran into a few trees while he tried with both hands on the brim to lift his hat off his head. He managed it at last, stared in horror at the bear and its peculiarly confused expression, and shook it off and into the bushes. There were thumps around him as more bears, disoriented by this turn of events, hit the ground and bounced wildly. In the trees, the budgerigars woke up, and the simple message by now having had time to work its way into their brain cells, shrieked, "'Here's a pretty boy, then!' A madly tumbling bear whirled past Rincewind's face. Rincewind turned and ran towards Snowy, landing astride the horse's back, or where its back would have been had it been taller. Snowy obediently broke into his arrhythmical trot and headed into the darkness. Rincewind looked down, swore, and ran after his horse. He held on tight as Snowy ran on like some small engine, leaving the bouncing bears behind, and didn't slow down until he was well away along the track and among bushes that were shorter than he was. Then he slid off. What a bloody country! There was a flurry of wings in the night, and suddenly the bush was full of little birds. Here's a pretty boy, then! Rincewind waved his hat at them and screamed a little just to relieve his feelings. It didn't work. The budgerigars thought this was some sort of entertainment. Bugger off! they twittered. Rincewind gave up, stamped on the ground a few times, and tried to sleep. When he awoke, it was to a sound very much like a donkey being sawn in half. It was a kind of rhythmic scream of pain, anguished and forlorn, setting the teeth of the world on edge. Rincewind raised his head cautiously over the scrub. A windmill was spinning in the breeze, turning this way and that, as stray gusts batted its tail fin. Rincewind was seeing more of these dotted across the landscape and thought, if all the water's underground, that's a good idea. There was a mob of sheep hanging around the base of this one, they didn't back off, but watched him carefully as he approached. He saw why. The trough below the pump was empty. The fan was spinning, grinding out its mournful squeak, but no water was coming out of the pipe. The thirsty sheep looked up at him. Uh, don't look at me, he mumbled. I'm a wizard. We're not supposed to be good at machinery. No, but we are supposed to be good at magic, said an accusing voice in his head. Maybe I can see if something's come loose, though, or something, he muttered. Impelled by the vaguely accusing woolly stares, he clambered up the rickety tower and tried to look efficient. There didn't seem to be anything wrong, except that the metallic groaning was getting louder. Mm, can't see anything. Something that had finally been tortured beyond endurance broke somewhere down in the tower. 
It shook, and the windmill spun free, dragging a broken rod which smashed heavily on the windmill's casing with every revolution. Rincewind half fell, half slid back down to the ground. Seems to be a bit of a technical fault, he mumbled, a lump of cast iron smashed into the sand by his feet. Probably needs to be seen to by a qualified artificer. Probably invalidates the warranty if I mess around. A cracking noise from overhead made him dive for cover, which in this case was a rather surprised sheep. When the racket had died away, the windmill's fan was bowling over through the scrub. As for the rest of it, if there had ever been any user-serviceable parts inside, they very clearly weren't in there any more. Rincewind took off his hat to mop his brow, but he wasn't quick enough. A pink tongue rasped across his forehead like damp sandpaper. Ow! Good grief, you look really half thirsty, aren't you? He pulled the hat back on right down to his ears just to be on the safe side. I could do with the drink myself, to tell the truth. He managed, after pushing a few sheep aside, to find a piece of broken windmill. Wading with some difficulty through the press of silent bodies, he made his way to an area that was a little lower than the surrounding scrub and contained a couple of trees whose leaves looked slightly fresher than the rest. Oh, good grief, chattered the birds around him. Two or three feet should do it, he thought, as he shoveled the red soil aside. Amazing, really, all this water underground when it never rained at all. The whole place must be floating on water. At three feet down, the soil was barely damp. He sighed and kept going. He was more than chest deep before a trickle oozed out between his toes. The sheep fought for the damp soil as he threw it up to the surface. As he watched, the puddle sank into the ground. Hey, come back! Hey, come back! screamed the birds in the bushes. Shut up! Shut up! Who's a pretty boy, then? He flailed at the ground with his makeshift shovel in an effort to catch up, and overtook the descending water after another few inches. He splashed on until he was knee-deep, dragged his hat through the muddy liquid, pulled himself out of the hole and ran, water dribbling over his feet until he could tip it into the trough. The sheep clustered round it, struggling silently to get at the film of moisture. Rincewind got two more hatfuls before the water sank out of sight. He wrenched the ladder off the stricken windmill, threw it down the hole and jumped in after it. Damp soil fountained out as he dug, and each dripping lump attracted a mass of flies and small birds as soon as it hit the ground. He managed another dozen or so hatfuls before the hole was deeper than the ladder. By now some cattle had lumbered up to the trough as well, and it was impossible to see the water for heads. The sound was that of a straw investigating the suds of the biggest milkshake in the world. Rincewind took a final look down the hole, and as he did so the last drop of water winked out of sight. Weird country, he muttered. He wandered over to where Snowy was standing patiently in the sparse shade of a bush. You're not thirsty, he said. Snowy snorted and shook his mane. Oh, well, maybe you've got a bit of camel in you. You certainly can't be all horse, I know that. Snowy moved aimlessly sideways and trod on Rincewind's foot. By noon, the track crossed another one, which was much wider. Hoof prints and wheel ruts suggested that it got a lot of traffic. Rincewind brightened up and followed it through thickening trees, glad of the shade. He passed another groaning windmill surrounded by a cluster of patiently waiting cattle. There were more bushes, and the land was rising into ancient crumbling hills of orange rock. At least he gets the wind up here, he thought. Ye gods, is a drop of rain too much to ask? You can't never have any rain. Everywhere gets rained on sometimes. It has to drop out of the sky in order to get underground in the first place, doesn't it? He stopped when he heard the sound of many hoofbeats on the track behind him. A mob of riderless horses appeared around the bend at full gallop. 
As they swept past Rincewind, he saw one horse out in front of the others, built on the sleekest lines he'd ever seen, a horse that moved as though it had a special arrangement with gravity. The pack divided and flowed around Rincewind as if he were a rock in a stream. Then they were just a disappearing noise in a cloud of red dust. Snowy's nostrils flared, and the jolting increased as he speeded up. Oh, yes, said Rincewind. Not a chance, mate. You can't play with the big boys. No worries. The cloud of dust had barely settled before there were more hoofbeats and a bunch of horsemen came around the curve. They galloped past without taking any notice of Rincewind, but a rider at the rear slowed down. You seen a mob of horses go by, mate? Yes, mate. No worries. Uh, no worries, no worries. A big brown colt leading them? Yes, mate. No worries, no worries. Old Remorse says he'll give a hundred squids to the man who catches him. No chance of that. It's canyon country ahead. No worries? What's that you're riding, an ironing board? Uh, excuse me, Rincewind began as the man set off in pursuit, but is this the right road to bugger up? The dust swirled across the road. What happened to the well-known Exian reputation for good-hearted friendliness, eh? shouted Rincewind to empty air. He heard shouts and the cracking of whips from the trees on the high slopes as he wound into the hills. At one point, the wild horses burst out onto the track again, not even noticing him in their flight, and this time Snowy ambled off the track and followed the trail of broken bushes. Rincewind had learned that hauling on the reins only had the effect of making his arms ache. The only way to stop the little horse when he didn't want to be stopped was probably to get off, run ahead, and dig a trench in front of him. Once again, the riders came up behind Rincewind and thudded past, foam streaming from the horses' mouths. Excuse me, am I on the right road for... And they were gone. He caught up with them ten minutes later in a thicket of mountain ash, milling around uncertainly while their leader shouted at them. I say, can anyone tell me, is it... He ventured. And then he saw why they'd stopped. They'd run out of forwards. The ground fell away into a canyon, a few patches of grass and a handful of bushes clinging to the very nearly sheer drop. Snowy's nostrils flared, and without even pausing he continued down the slope. He should have skidded, Rincewind saw. In fact, he should have dropped. The slope was almost vertical. Even mountain goats would only try it roped together. Stones bounced around him, and a few of the larger ones managed to hit him on the back of the neck, but Snowy trotted downwards at the same deceptive speed that he used on the flat. Rincewind settled for hanging on and screaming. Halfway down, he saw the wild herd gallop along the canyon, skid around a rock and disappear between the cliffs. Snowy reached the bottom in a shower of pebbles and paused for a moment. Rincewind risked opening an eye. The little horse's nostrils flared again as it looked down the narrow canyon. It stamped a hoof uncertainly, then it looked at the vertiginous far wall only a few metres away. Oh, no, moaned Rincewind. Please, no. He tried to untangle his legs, but they'd met right under the horse's stomach and twisted their ankles together. He must be able to do something to gravity, he told himself, as Snowy trotted up the cliff as though it wasn't a wall but merely a sort of vertical floor. The corks on his hat brim banged against his nose. And ahead, above, was an overhang. Oh, no, please, no, please don't. He shut his eyes. He felt Snowy draw to a halt and breathed a sigh of relief. He risked a look down, and the huge hooves were indeed standing on solid flat rock. There were no corks hanging in front of Rincewind's hat. In dread and slowly mounting terror, he turned his eyes to what they'd always thought of as upwards. There was solid rock above him as well, only it was a long way up or down. 
and the corks were all hanging upwards, or downwards. Snowy was standing on the underside of the overhang, apparently enjoying the view. He flared his nostrils again and shook his mane. He'll fall off, Rincewind thought. Any minute now he'll realise he's upside down and he'll fall off, and from this height a horse'll splat on top of me. Snowy appeared to reach a decision and set off again around the curve of the overhang. The corks swung back and hit Rincewind in the face. But, hey, all the trees had the green bits pointing up, except that they were the grey bits. Rincewind looked across the chasm at the horsemen. Good day, he said, waving his hat in the air as Snowy set off again. I think I'm about to have a technicolour snake, he added and threw up. Here, mister, someone shouted back. Yes? That was a chunder. Right, no worries. It turned out that this piece of land was only a narrow spur between canyons. Another sheer drop loomed up or down. But to Rincewind's relief, the horse turned aside at the brink and trotted along the edge. Oh, no, please. A tree had fallen down and bridged the gulf. It was very narrow, but Snowy wheeled onto it without slowing. Both ends of the tree drummed up and down on the lip of the cliff. Pebbles began to fall away. Snowy bounced across the gap like a small ball and stepped off on the far side just before the tree trunk teetered and dropped onto the rocks. Oh, please, no. There wasn't a cliff here, just a long slope of loose rocks. Snowy landed among them and flared his nostrils as the entire slope of scree began to move. Rincewind saw the herd gallop past in the narrow canyon bottom far below. Large rocks bounded alongside him as the horse continued down in his own personal landslide. One or two jumped and bounced ahead, smashing onto the canyon floor just behind the last of the herd. Numb with fear and the shaking, Rincewind looked further along the canyon. It was blind. The end was another cliff. Stone piled into stone, building a rough wall across the canyon floor. As the last boulder slammed into place, Snowy landed on top of it, almost daintily. He looked down at the penned herd, milling in confusion, and flared his nostrils. Rincewind was pretty sure horses couldn't snigger, but this one radiated an air of sniggeruity. It was ten minutes later that the horsemen rode up. By then the herd was almost docile. They looked at the horses. They looked at Rincewind, who grinned horribly and said, No worries. Very slowly, he didn't fall off Snowy. He simply swivelled sideways, with his feet still twisted together, until his head banged gently on the ground. That was bloody great riding, mate. Could uh, someone separate my ankles, please? I fear they may have fused together. A couple of the riders dismounted, and after some effort, pulled him free. The leader looked down at him. Name your price for that little battler, mate, said Remorse. Uh, uh, three uh, squids, said Rincewind, muzzily. What, for a wiry little devil like that? He's got to be worth a couple of hundred at least. Three squids is all I've got. I reckon a few of them rocks hit him on the head, said one of the stockmen who were holding Rincewind up. I mean, I'll buy him off you, mister said Remorse, patiently. Tell you what, two hundred squids, a bag of tucker, and we'll set you right on the road to, uh, where was he wanted to go, Clancy? Bugger up, murmured Rincewind. Ah, oh, you don't want to go to bugger up, said Remorse. Nothing in bugger up but a bunch of wowsers and poofters. It's OK, I, I like parrots, mumbled Rincewind, who was just hoping that they would let him go so that he could hold onto the ground again. Um, 
What's Exion for going mad with terrified fatigue and collapsing in a boneless heap? The men looked at one another. Isn't that snag as a wombat's tonker? No, no, that's when you chuck a twister, isn't it? said Clancy. What? Struth, no, chucking a twister's when you... When you... Yeah, it's when you... Yeah, it's when you nose. Hang on, that's Bender Smarty. Um, said Rincewind, clutching his head. What? Bender Smarty is when your ears get blocked underwater. Clancy looked uncertain and then seemed to reach a decision. Yeah, that's right. Nah, that's gonging like a possum's armpit, mate. Excuse me, said Rincewind. That ain't right. Gonging like a possum's armpit is when you crack a crusty. When your ears are stuffed like a mudgy's kettle after a week of Fridays, that's stuck up like Morgan's mule. Now you're referring to happier than Morgan's mule in a chalky patch. You mean as fast as Morgan's mule after it ate Mars crow pie? Um, how fast was that exactly, said Rincewind. They all stared at him. Faster than an eel in a snake pit, mate, said Clancy. Don't you understand plain language? Yeah, said one of the men. He might be a fancy rider, but I reckon he's dumber and a... Don't anyone say anything, shouted Rincewind. I'm feeling a lot better, all right. Just all right. All right? He straightened his ragged robe and adjusted his hat. Now, if you could just set me on the right road to bugger up, I will not trespass further on your time. You may keep, Snowy. He can bed down on a ceiling somewhere. Oh, no, mister, said Remorse. He reached into a shirt pocket, pulled out a bundle of notes and licked his thumb to count off twenty. I always pays me debts. You want to stay with us a while first? We could use another rider and it's tough going on the road by yourself. There's bush rangers about. Rincewind rubbed his head again. Now that his various bodily organs had wobbled their way back into their approximate positions, he could get back to general, low-key, generalised dread. They won't have to worry about me, he mumbled. I promise not to light fires or feed the animals. Well, I say promise. Most of the time they're trying to feed off me. Remorse shrugged. Just so long as there's no more of those damn dropping bears, said Rincewind. The men laughed. Drop bears? Who's been feeding you a line about drop bears? What do you mean? There's no such thing as drop bears. Someone must have seen you coming, mate. Huh? They've got... Well, they went... Rincewind waved his arm. They went boing all over the place. Great big teeth. I reckon he's madder than Morgan's mule, mate, said Clancy. The group went silent. Hmm. How, uh, how mad is that, then? said Rincewind. Clancy leaned on his saddle and looked nervously at the other men. He licked his lips. Well, it's... Yes? Well, it's... It's... His face twisted up. It's... Ver... Rincewind hinted. Ver... Clancy mumbled, clutching the syllable like a lifeline. Hmm? Very... Keep going, keep going. Very mad, said Clancy. Well done. See? So much easier, said Rincewind. Someone mentioned something about food. Remorse nodded to one of the men who handed Rincewind a sack. There's beer and veggies and stuff, and because you're a good sport, we're giving you a tin of jam too. Gooseberry? Yep. And I'm wondering about your hat, said Remorse. Why's there all corks around it? Knocks the flies out, said Rincewind. That works, does it? Course not, said Clancy. Even it does, someone had a thought of it by now. Yes, me, said Rincewind. No worries. 
Makes you look a bit of a drongo, mate, said Clancy. Oh, good, said Rincewind. Which way's bugger up? Just turn left at the bottom of the canyon, mate. That's all. You can ask again when you meet the bush rangers. They've got some sort of cabin or station, have they? They, well, just remember they'll find you if you get lost. Really? Oh, well, I suppose that's part of their job. Good day to you. G'day. No worries. The men watched Rincewind until he was out of sight. Didn't seem very bothered, did he? He's a bit goojeroo, if you ask me. Clancy? Yes, boss? You made that one up, didn't you? Well, you bloody did, Clancy. Clancy looked embarrassed, but then rallied. All right, then, he said hotly. What about that one you used yesterday, as busy as a one-armed carpenter in Smackaroo? What about it? I looked it up in the Atlas and there's no such place, boss. There damn well is. There isn't. Anyway, no one would employ a one-armed carpenter, would they? So he wouldn't be busy, would he? Listen, Clancy, he'd go fishing or something, wouldn't he? Clancy, we're supposed to be carving a new language out of the wilderness here. Probably needs someone to help him bait the line. But, Clancy, will you shut up and go and get the horses? It took 20 minutes to roll enough of the rocks away, and five minutes after that, Clancy reported back. Can't find the little bastard, boss, and we looked underneath all the others. It couldn't have got past us. Yes, it could, boss. You saw it going up those cliffs, probably miles away by now. You want I should go after that bloke? Remorse thought about it and spat. Nah, we got the colt back, that's worth the money. He stared reflectively down the canyon. You all right, boss? Clancy, after we get back to the station, go on into town and call in at the pastoral hotel and bring back as many corks as they got, will you? Think it'll work, boss? He was as weird as a... Clancy was pulled up by the look in his boss's eyes. He was pretty weird, he said. Weird, yeah, but smart too. No flies on him. Behind them in the jumble of rocks and bushes at the end of the canyon, a drawing of a small horse became a drawing of a kangaroo and then faded into the stone. The worst thing about losing your temper with Mustrum Ridcully was that he never noticed when you did. Wizards, when faced with danger, would immediately stop and argue amongst themselves about exactly what kind of danger it was. By the time everyone in the party understood, either it had become the sort of danger where your options are so very, very clear that you instantly take one of them or die, or it had got bored and gone away. Even danger has its pride. When he was a boy, Ponder Stibbons had imagined that wizards would be powerful demigods, able to change the whole world at the flick of a finger and then he'd grown up and found that they were tiresome old men who worried about the state of their feet, and in harm's way would even bicker about the origin of the phrase, in harm's way. It had never struck him that evolution works in all kinds of ways. There were still quite deep scars in old buildings that showed what happened when you had the other kind of wizard. His footsteps took him, almost without his being aware, along the gently winding path up the mountain. Strange creatures peered at him from the undergrowth on either side. Some of them looked like... Wizards think in terms of books, and now one crept out from the shelves of Ponder's memory. It had been given to him when he was small. In fact, he'd still got it somewhere, filed away in a cardboard box. Ponder had been that kind of child. He still had all the pieces for every game he'd ever been given. Ponder had been the kind of boy who carefully reads the label on every Hogswatch present before opening it, and notes down in a small book who it is from and has all the thank-you letters written by tea-time. 
His parents had been impressed even then, realising that they had given birth to a child who would achieve great things, or perhaps be hunted down by a righteous citizenry by the time he was ten. It had consisted of lots of small pages on a central spiral. Each one showed the head, body or tail of some bird, fish or animal. It was possible for the sufficiently bored to shuffle and turn them so that you got, say, a creature with the head of a horse, the body of a beetle and the tail of a fish. The cover promised hours of fun, although after the first three minutes you couldn't help wondering what kind of person could make that kind of fun last for hours. Suffocating him as kindly as possible now would save the serial crime squad a lot of trouble in years to come. Ponder, however, had hours of fun. Some of the creature... Uh, things in the undergrowth looked like the pages of that book. There were birds with beaks as long as their bodies. There were spiders the size of hands. Here and there the air shimmered like water. It resisted very gently as Ponder tried to walk through it and then let him pass. But the birds and insects didn't seem inclined to follow him. There were beetles everywhere. Eventually, by easy stages, the winding path reached the top of the mountain. There was a tiny valley there just below the peak. At the far end was a large cave mouth lit by a blue glow within. A large beetle sang past Ponder's ear. The cave mouth opened into a cavern filled with misty blue fog. There was a suggestion of complex shadows, and there were sounds, whistles like zipping noises, the occasional thud or clang that suggested work going on somewhere in the mist. Ponder brushed aside the beetle that had landed on his cheek and stared at the shape right in front of him. It was the front half of an elephant. The other half of the elephant, balancing against all probability on the two legs at the rear end, stood a few yards away. In between was the rest of the elephant. Ponder Stibbons told himself that if you cut an elephant in half and scooped out the middle, what you would get would be, well, mess. There wasn't much mess here. Pink and purple tubes had uncoiled neatly onto a workbench. A small stepladder led up into another complexity of tubes and bulky organs. There was a general feel of methodical work in progress. This wasn't the horror of an elephant in an explosive death. This was an elephant under construction. Little clouds of white light spiralled in from all corners of the cavern, spun for a moment and became the god of evolution, who was standing on the stepladder. He blinked at Ponder. Oh, it's you, he said. One of the pointy creatures. Can you tell me what happens when I do this? He reached inside the echoing depths of the front half. The elephant's ears flapped. The ears flapped, squeaked Ponder. The god emerged, beaming. It's amazing how difficult that is to achieve, he said. Anyway, what do you think of it? Ponder swallowed. It's very good, he managed. He took a step back, bumped into something, and turned and looked into the gaping maw of a very large shark. It was in the middle of another, well, he had to think of it as a sort of biological scaffolding. It rolled an eye at him. Behind it, a much bigger whale was being assembled. It is, isn't it, said the god. Ponder tried to concentrate on the elephant. Although, he said, yes. Are you sure about the wheels? The god looked concerned. You think they're too small? Not quite suitable for the veldt? Er, uh, probably not. It's very hard to design an organic wheel, you know, said the god reproachfully. They are little masterpieces. You don't think just, you know, moving the legs about would be simpler? 
Ooh, we'd never get anywhere if I just copied earlier ideas, said the god. Diversify and fill all niches, that's the ticket. But is lying on your side in a mud hole with your wheels spinning a very important niche, said Ponder. The god looked at him and then stared glumly at the half-completed elephant. Perhaps if I made the tyres bigger, he said, hopefully, yet in a hopeless voice. I don't think so, said Ponder. Oh, you're probably right. The little god's hands twitched. I don't know, I do try to diversify, but sometimes it's so difficult. Suddenly he ran across the crowded cave towards a huge pair of doors at the far end and flung them open. I'm sorry, but I just have to do one, said the god. They calm me down, you know. Ponder caught up. The cave beyond the doors was bigger than this one and brilliantly lit. The air was full of small bright things hovering in their millions like beads on invisible strings. Beetles, said Ponder. There's nothing like a beetle when you're feeling depressed, said the god. He'd stopped by a large metal desk and was feverishly opening drawers and pulling out boxes. Can you pass me that box of antenna? It's just on the shelf there. Oh, yes. You can't beat a beetle when you're feeling down. Sometimes I think it's what it's all about, you know. What all, said Ponder. The god swept an arm in an expansive gesture. Everything, he said cheerfully. The whole thing. Trees, grass, flowers. What did you think it was all for? Well, I didn't think it was for beetles, said Ponder. What about, well, what about the elephant for a start? The god already had a half-finished beetle in one hand. It was green. Dung, he said triumphantly. No head, when screwed onto a body, ought to make a sound like a cork being pushed into a bottle, but the beetles did, in the hands of the god. What? said Ponder. That's rather a lot of trouble to go to just for dung, isn't it? That's ecology for you, I'm afraid, said the god. No, no, that can't be right, surely, said Ponder. What about the higher life forms? Higher? said the god. You mean like birds? No, I mean like... Ponder hesitated. The god had seemed remarkably incurious about the wizards, possibly because of their lack of resemblance to beetles, but he could see a certain amount of theological unpleasantness ahead. Like apes, he said. Apes? Oh, very amusing, certainly, and obviously the beetles have to have something to entertain them, but... The god looked at him, and a celestial penny seemed to drop. Oh, dear, you don't think they're the purpose of the whole business, do you? I'd rather assumed that... Dear me, the purpose of the whole business, you see, is in fact to be the whole business. Although, <coughs> he sniffed, if we can do it all with beetles, I shan't complain. But surely the purpose of... <coughs> I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you ended up with some creature that started to think about the universe? Good gravy, I don't want anything poking around, said the god testily. There's enough patches and stitches in it as it is. Without some clever devil trying to find more, I can assure you. No, the gods on the mainland have got that right at least. Intelligence is like legs. Too many and you trip yourself up. Six is about the right number, in my view. But surely, ultimately, one creature might... The god let go of his latest creation. It whirred up and along the rows and rows of beetles and slotted itself in between two that were almost, but not exactly, quite like it. Worked that one out, have you? he said. Well, of course you're right. I can see you have quite an efficient brain. Damn. 
There was a little sparkle in the air, and a bird appeared alongside the god. It was clearly alive, but entirely stationary, hanging in frozen flight. A flickering blue glow hovered around it. The god sighed, reached into a pocket, and pulled out the most complex-looking tool Ponder had ever seen. The bits that you could see suggested that there were other, even stranger bits that you couldn't, and that this was probably just as well. However, he said, slicing the bird's beak off, the blue glow simply closing over the hole, if I'm going to get any serious work done, I'm really going to have to find some way of organising the whole business. All I'm faced with these days is bills. Yes, it must be quite expensive. Big bills, short bills, bills for winkling insects out of bark, bills for cracking nuts, bills for eating fruit, the god went on. They're supposed to do their own evolving. I mean, that's the whole point. I shouldn't have to be running around all the time. The god waved his hand in the air, and a sort of display stand of beaks appeared beside him. He selected one that to ponder hardly looked any different from the one he'd removed, and used the tool to attach it to the hanging bird. The blue glow covered it for a moment, and then the bird vanished. In the moment that it disappeared, Ponder thought he saw its wings begin to move. And in that moment he knew that despite the apparent beetle fixation, here was where he'd always wanted to be, at the cutting edge of the envelope in the fast lane of the state of the art. He'd become a wizard because he'd thought that wizards knew how the universe worked, and Unseen University had turned out to be stifling. Take that business with the tame lightning. It had demonstrably worked. He made the bursar's hair stand on end and sparks crackle out of his fingers, and that was by using only one cat and a couple of amber rods. His perfectly reasonable plan to use several thousand cats tied to a huge wheel that would rotate against hundreds of rods had been vetoed on the ridiculous grounds that it would be too noisy. His carefully worked out scheme to split the thaum and thus provide endless supplies of cheap, clean magic had been quite unfairly sat upon because it was felt that it might make the place untidy. And that was even after he had presented figures to prove that the chances of the process completely destroying the entire world were no greater than being knocked down while crossing the street. And it wasn't his fault he said this just before the six-cart pile-up outside the university. Here was a chance to do something that made sense. Besides, he thought he could see where the god was going wrong. Excuse me, he said, but do you need an assistant? Frankly, the whole thing is getting out of hand, said the god, who was a wizard-class non-listener. It's really getting to the point where I need an... I say, this is a pretty amazing place. Ponder rolled his eyes. You could say that for wizards. When they walked into a place that was pretty amazing, they'd tell you loudly. Ah, oh, said the god, turning around. This is the rest of your swarm, isn't it? I'd better go and stop them, said Ponder, as the wizards fanned out like small boys in an amusement arcade, ready to press anything in case there was a free game left. They poke things and then say, what does this do? Don't they ask what things do before they poke them? No, they say you'll never find out if you don't give them a poke, said Ponder darkly. Then why do they ask? They just do, and they bite things and then say, I wonder if this is poisonous, with their mouths full. And you know the really annoying thing? It never is. How odd. Laughing in the face of danger is not a survival strategy, said the god. Oh, they don't laugh, said Ponder gloomily. They say things like, 
You call that dangerous? It's not a patch on the kind of danger you used to get when we were lads, eh, senior wrangler? What? What? Remember when old Windows McPlunder? He shrugged. When old Windows McPlunder what? said the god. I don't know. Sometimes I think they make up the names. Dean, I really don't think you should do that. The dean turned away from the shark whose teeth he'd been examining. Why not, Stibbons? he said. Behind him, the jaw snapped shut. Only the arch-chancellor's legs were visible in the exploded elephant. There were muffled noises from inside the whale. They sounded very much like the lecturer in recent runes saying, Look at what happens when I twist this bit. See? That purple bit wobbles. Amazing piece of work, said Ridcully, emerging from the elephant. Very good wheels. You paint these bits before assembly, do you? It's not a kit, sir, said Ponder, taking a kidney out of his hands and wedging it back in. It's a real elephant under construction. Oh! Being made, sir, said Ponder, since Ridcully didn't seem to have got the message, which is not usual. Oh! How are they, um, normally made, then? By other elephants, sir. Oh, yes. Really? Are they? said the god. How? Those trunks are pretty nimble, even if I say so myself, but not really very good for delicate work. Oh, not made like that, sir, obviously. By, by, you know, sex, said Ponder, feeling a blush start. Sex? Then Ponder thought, Mono Island, oh dear. Um, males and females, he ventured. Mm, what are they, then? said the god. The wizards paused. Do go on, Mr. Stibbons, said the arch-chancellor. We are all ears, especially the elephant. Well, Ponder knew he was going red. Um, well, how do you get flowers and things at the moment? I make them, said the god, and then I keep an eye on them and see how they function, and then when they wear out I make an improved version based on experimental results, he frowned. Although the plants seem to be acting very oddly these days, what's the point of these seeds they keep making? I, I try to discourage it, but they don't seem to listen. I think, um, they're trying to invent... Sex, sir, said Ponder. Uh, sex is how you can, uh, they can, uh, 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 creatures can, they can, can make the next creatures. You mean elephants can make more elephants? Yes, sir. My word. Really? Oh, yes. How do they go about that, then? Calibrating the ear waggling is particularly time-consuming. Do they use... Special tools? Ponder saw that the dean was staring straight up at the ceiling, while the other wizards were also finding something apparently fascinating to look at that meant they could avoid one another's gaze. Um, in a way, said Ponder. He knew that a sticky patch lay ahead and decided to give up. But really, I, I, I don't know much about it. And workshops, presumably, said the god. He took a book from his pocket and a pencil from behind his ear. Do you mind if I make notes? Uh, they, um, the, the female, Ponder tried. Female, said the god obediently, writing this down. Well, she, one uh, popular way, she sort of 
makes the next one inside her. The god stopped writing. Now I know that's not right, he said. You can't make an elephant inside an elephant. Uh, a, a smaller version. Ah, now once again I have to point out the flaw. After a few such constructions, you'd end up with an elephant the size of a rabbit. Um, it gets bigger later. Really? How? It, it, it sort of builds itself, um, from the inside. And the other one, the, the, the one that is not the, um, um, female, uh, what is its part in all this? Is your colleague ill? The senior wrangler hammered the dean hard on the back. It's, uh, it's, it's all right, squeaked the dean. Often have these <coughs> coughing fits. <coughs> the god scribbled industriously for a few seconds and then stopped and chewed the end of his pencil thoughtfully. And all this, um, this, this, this sex is done by unskilled labour, he said. Oh, yes, no quality control of any description? Um, no. How does your species go about it? said the god. He looked questioningly at Ponder. It, um, well, uh, we, um, um, Ponder stuttered. We avoid it, said Ridcully. Nasty cough you've got there, Dean. Really? said the god. That's very interesting. What do you do instead? Split down the middle? That works beautifully for amoebas, but giraffes find it extremely difficult. I do know that. What? No, 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 we, 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 we concentrate on higher things, said Ridcully, and take cold baths, healthy morning runs, that sort of thing. My goodness, I'd better make a note of that, said the god, patting his robe. How does the, the process work, exactly? Do the females accompany you? These higher things, how high, precisely? This is a very interesting concept, presumably... Extra orifices are required. What? Um, pardon, said Ponder. Getting creatures to make themselves, eh? Oh, I thought this whole seed business was just high spirits, but yes, I can see that it would save a lot of work. A lot of work. Of course, there'd have to be some extra effort at the design stage, certainly, but afterwards I suppose it'd practically run itself. The god's hand blurred as he wrote, and he went on, Hmm, drives and imperatives, they're going to be vital. Hmm, how does this work, say, with trees? You just need Ponder's uncle and a paintbrush, said the senior wrangler. Sir, said Ponder hotly. The god gave them both a look of intelligent bewilderment, like a man who had just heard a joke told in a completely foreign language and isn't sure if the speaker has got to the punchline yet. Then he shrugged. The only thing I don't quite understand, he said, is why any creature would want to spend time on all this... He peered at his notes. This sex, when they could be enjoying themselves. Oh, dear, your associate seems to be choking this time, I'm afraid. Dean, shouted Ridcully. I can't help noticing, said the god, that when sex is being discussed, your faces redden and you tend to shift uneasily from one foot to the other. Is this some sort of signal? Um, if you could just tell me how it all works. Embarrassment filled the air, huge and pink. If it were rock, you could have carved great hidden rose-red cities in it.
Rid Cully smiled a petrified smile. Eh, excuse us, he said. Faculty meeting, gentlemen. Ponder watched the wizards go into a huddle. He could hear a few phrases above the susuration. My father said, but of, of course I didn't believe. Never raised its ugly head. Dean, will you shut up? We can't very well act. Cold showers, really. Rid Cully turned back and flashed the stony smile again. Sex is, is, um, um, not, um, something we talk about, he said. Much, said the dean. Oh, I see, said the god. Well, a practical demonstration would be so much more comprehensible. Um, um, we, we weren't, um, planning a, um, QE. There you are, gentlemen. Mrs. Whitlow entered the cave. The wizards went suddenly quiet, sensing in their wizardly minds that the introduction of Mrs. Whitlow at this point was an electric fire in the swimming pool of life. Oh, another one of you, said the god brightly. He focused. Or, uh, hmm, a different species, perhaps? Ponder felt that he had to say something. Mrs. Whitlow was giving him a look. Um, Mrs. Um, Whitlow is, uh... A lady, he said. Ah, I shall make a note of it, said the god. And what sort of thing do they do? They're um, 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 the same species as, as, as us, said Ponder miserably. Um, the, um, the, um, um, weaker sex, Rid Cully supplied. Sorry, you've lost me there, said the god. And um, she's, um, a, um, she's of the, of the, "'Female persuasion,' said Ponder. "'The god smiled happily. "'Oh, how very convenient,' he said. "'Excuse me,' said Mrs. Whitlow, "'in as sharp a tone as she cared to use around the wizards, "'but will someone introduce this gentleman to me?' "'Oh, oh, oh, yes, of course,' said Ridcully. "'Do excuse me. "'God, this is Mrs. Whitlow. "'Mrs. Whitlow, this is God. "'Er, uh, a God.' God of this island, in fact. Mm. Charmed, I'm sure, said Mrs. Whitlow. In Mrs. Whitlow's book, gods were socially very acceptable, at least if they had proper human heads and wore clothes. They rated above high priests and occupied the same level as dukes. Should he kneel, she said. <coughs> whimpered the senior wrangler. Genuflection of any sort is not required, said the god. He means no said Ponder. Oh, as you wish, said Mrs. Whitlow. She extended a hand. The god grasped it and waggled her thumb backwards and forwards. Very practical, he said. Opposable, I see. I think I should make a note of this. Do you brachiate? Are you bipedal by habit? Oh, I notice your eyebrows go up too. Is this a signal of some sort? I also note that you are a different shape from the others, and don't have a beard. I assume that means you are less wise? Ponder saw Mrs. Whitlow's eyes narrow and her nostrils flare. Is there some sort of problem, sirs, she said? I followed your footprints to that funny boat, and this was the only other path. So, we were discussing sex, said the god enthusiastically. It sounds very exciting, don't you think? The wizards held their breath. This was going to make the dean's sheets look very minor. It's not 
a subject on which A would venture an opinion, said Mrs. Whitlow carefully. <laughs> Squeaked the senior wrangler. No one seems to want to tell me, said the god irritably. A spark leapt from his fingers and blew a very small crater in the floor, and that seemed to shock him as much as it did the wizards. "'Oh, dear, what can you think of me? I'm so sorry,' he said. "'I'm afraid it's a sort of natural reaction if I get a bit, you know, testy.' Everyone looked at the crater. The rock bubbled gently by Ponder's feet. He didn't dare move his sandal just in case he fainted. "'That was just, um, uh, testy, was it?' said Ridcully. "'Well, it may have been more, more vexed, I suppose,' said the god. "'I can't really help it. It's a god-given reflex. "'I'm afraid, as a, as a, well, species, we're not good with, you know, um, defiance. "'I'm so sorry, so sorry.' "'He blew his nose and sat down on a half-finished panda. "'Oh, dear, there I go again.' "'A tiny bolt of lightning flashed off his thumb and exploded. "'I hope it's not going to be the city of Quint all over again.' Of course, <laughs> you know what happened there. I've never heard of the city of Quint, said Ponder. Yes, I suppose you wouldn't have, said the god. That's the whole point, really. It wasn't much of a city. It was mostly made of mud. Well, I say mud. Afterwards, of course, it was mainly ceramics. He turned a wretched face to them. You know those days you get when you just snap at everyone? Out of the corner of his eye, Ponder had noticed that the wizards, in a rare show of unanimity, were shuffling sideways very slowly towards the door. A much bigger thunderbolt blew a hole in the floor near the cave entrance. "'Oh, dear, where can I put my face?' said the god. "'It's all subconscious, I'm afraid.' "'Could you get treatment for premature incineration?' "'Dean, this is not the time. Sorry, Arch-Chancellor.' "'If only they hadn't turned up their noses at my inflammable cows!' said the god, sparks fizzing off his beard. All right, I would agree that on hot days, in certain rare circumstances, they would spontaneously combust and burn down the village, but is that any excuse for ingratitude? Mrs Whitlow had been giving the god a long, cool stare. What exactly is it you wish to know, she said. Huh? said Ridcully. "'Well, I mean no offence, but I, for one, would like to get out of here without my hair on fire,' said the housekeeper. The god looked up. "'This male and female concept seems really rather promising,' he said, sniffling. "'But no one seems to want to go into detail.' "'Oh, that,' said Mrs Whitlow. She glanced at the wizards and then gently pulled the god to his feet.' "'If you will excuse me for one moment, gentlemen.' "'The wizards watched them in even more shock "'than had attended the lightning display, "'and then the chair of indefinite studies "'pulled his hat over his eyes. "'I don't look,' he said, and added, "'What are they doing?' Uh, "'Just talking,' said Ponder. "'Talking? "'And she's sort of waving her hands about.' "'Oh,' said the senior wrangler. "'Quick, someone give him some air,' said Ridcully. "'Now she's... she's laughing, isn't she?' "'Both the housekeeper and the god looked around at the wizards. "'Mrs Whitlow nodded her head as if to reassure him "'that what she'd just told him was true, and they both laughed. "'That looked more like a snigger,' said the dean severely. 
I, "'I'm not sure I actually approve of this,' said Ridcully haughtily. "'Gods and, and, and mortal women, you know, you, you, you hear stories.' "'Gods turning themselves into bulls,' said the dean. "'Swans, too,' said the chair of indefinite studies. "'Showers of gold,' said the dean. "'Yes,' said the chair. He paused for a second. "'You know, I've often wondered about that one.' "'What's she describing now?' "'I think I'd rather not know, quite frankly.' "'Oh, look, someone, please do something for the senior wrangler, will you?' said Ridcully. "'Loosen his clothing or something.' They heard the god shout, "'Eat what?' Mrs Whitlow glanced around the wizards and appeared to lower her voice. "'Did anyone ever meet Mr Whitlow?' said the Arch-Chancellor. "'Well, no.' said the dean. Not that I remember. I suppose we've all assumed that he's dead. Anyone, anyone know what he died of? Ridcully went on. Ah, quiet and down. They're coming back. The god nodded cheerfully at them as he approached. Well, that's all sorted out, he said, rubbing his hands together. I can't wait to see how it works in practice. You know, if I'd sat here for a hundred years, I'd never have... Well, really, no one could seriously believe. I mean... <coughs> he started to chuckle at their frozen faces. That bit where where he and... <laughs> and then and then she... Really, I'm amazed that anyone stops laughing long enough to... <laughs> Still, I can see how it would work, and it certainly opens the door to some very interesting possibilities indeed. Mrs Whitlow was looking intently at the ceiling... There was perhaps just a hint in her stance and the way her rather expressive bosom moved that she was trying not to laugh. It was disconcerting. Mrs Whitlow never usually laughed at anything. Uh, <clears throat> oh, said Ridcully, edging towards the door. Really? Well, well, well done then. So, um, I expect you, you, you don't need us anymore, hmm? Only we've got a boat to catch and... "'Yes, certainly, don't let me hold you up,' said the god, waving a hand vaguely. "'You know, the more I think about it, the more I can see that sex will solve practically all my problems.' "'Not everyone can say that,' said Ridcully gravely. "'Are you, um, are you joining us, Mrs. Um, Whitlow?' "'Certainly, Arch-Chancellor.' Uh, "'Jolly good. Well done. <clears throat> and you, of course, uh, Mr. Stibbons.' The god had wandered over to a workbench and was rummaging in boxes. The air glittered. Honda looked up at the whale. It was clearly alive, but not at the moment. His gaze swept across the elephant under construction and past mysteriously organic-looking gantries, where shimmering blue light surrounded shapes as yet unrecognised, although one did appear to contain half a cow. He carefully removed an exploring beetle from his ear. The point was, if he left now, he'd always wonder... I think I'd like to stay, he said. Good, um, uh, said the god, without looking round. Man, said Ponder. Good man, said the god. Are you sure, said Ridcully. I don't think I've ever had a holiday, said Ponder. I'd like to apply for time off to do research, sir. But, but we're lost in the past, man. Basic research, then, said Ponder firmly. There's just so much to learn here, sir. Really? You've only got to look around, sir. 
Well, I, I suppose I can't stop you if your, your mind's made up, said the Arch-Chancellor. We'll have to dock your pay, of course. I don't think I've ever been paid, sir, said Ponder. The Dean nudged Ridcully and whispered in his ear. And, and we need to know how the boat works, Ridcully went on. What? Oh, it shouldn't be a problem, said the god, looking up from his bench. It'll find somewhere with a different biogeographical signature, you see. It's all automatic, no sense in coming back to where you started from. He waved a beetle leg in the air. There's a new continent going up turn-wise of here. The boat will probably head straight for a landmass that size. New? said Ridcully. Oh, yes, I've never been interested in that sort of thing myself, but you can hear the construction noises all night. It's certainly causing a mess. Stibbons, are you sure you want to stay? the dean demanded. Uh, yes. I'm sure Mr Stibbons will uphold the fine traditions of the university, said Ridcully heartily. Ponder, who knew all about the traditions of the university, nodded very slightly. His heart was pounding. He hadn't even felt like this when he'd first worked out how to program hacks. At last he'd found his proper place in the world. The future beckoned. Dawn was breaking when the wizards ambled back down the mountain. Not a bad god, I thought, said the senior wrangler, as gods go. That was good coffee he made us, said the chair of indefinite studies. And didn't he grow the bush fast? "'once we'd explained what coffee was,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'They strolled on. "'Mrs Whitlow was walking somewhere ahead, humming to herself. "'The wizards took care to remain at a respectful distance. "'They were aware that in some kind of obscure way she'd won, "'although they hadn't a clue what the game was. "'Funny of young Ponder to want to stay,' said the senior wrangler, "'desperately trying to think of anything except a vision in pink. "'The gods seemed happy about it.' said the lecturer in recent runes. He did say that designing sex was going to involve redesigning practically everything else. I used to make snakes out of clay when I was a little boy, said the bursar happily. Well done, bursar. Doing the feet was the hard part. <laughs>